Welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast. I am joined here by Stephen Pearson. We're going to start today with a very interesting exercise. Um, Steve, who's your favorite band from childhood that has consistently disappointed you over the last decade to the degree that it has actually changed the warm, fuzzy childhood memories you have of that artist? Really sprung that one on me. Um, I'm going to need a minute to think about this. LCD sound system does not count. LCD sound system does not count. I feel like I think about this, but suddenly I'm on the spot and I can't tell you. Um, dude, I'm going to have to rack my brain pretty hard for this. That was a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. What's your answer to this question? No one. I, I love them all. I cherish all the memories. They're all great. I mean, you can't you can't punish somebody for continuing on, right? Can we? It's kind of like athletes. This is not my answer, but I, I saw an interesting debate the other day about MGMT. I think originally it was supposed to be pronounced management, but then the uh, horse got out of the barn or whatever. Talking about, because one of their songs has been co-opted by... Um, oh, which one? People who don't have the same political affiliations as they do. And it's been a very interesting discourse about what they intended to be, what they ended up being, and whether or not that remains... Um, that's not my answer, but it's kind of the same conversation. What song? Uh, Little Dark Age has been used by people who might be misinterpreting or um, repurposing its intention. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because it, there was such a dividing line for their second album in my life because they did the first record and not only was Time to Pretend just brilliant, but there were so many like hidden bangers in there, um, like Weekend Warrior, which was like half John Lennon, half Bowie, and then like just evolved into this beautiful thing. I never really got kids. Like kids was cool, but people were like, this is the greatest thing ever. I didn't get it. But the second record, that second record, congratulations. But everybody hated it. They said it sounded like Scooby-Doo theme music. And I ask you this question. What the hell is wrong with Scooby-Doo theme music? Steve, can you enlighten me? Maybe it just feels rote after everyone hearing it a thousand times in their life, but we all grew up on Scooby-Doo. I have nothing bad to say about that. And I certainly have nothing bad to say about Congratulations. Yeah, I think uh, MGMT is a great band. Okay. But I, I will say it was an interesting conversation, kind of party to what you were saying. Yeah. Well, the way we normally start the show is by asking you what your favorite thing or the coolest thing or the most spectacular thing you saw this weekend. But before we get to that, I just want to point out something that I feel we are obligated to do. And that's not to give Tottenham credit for anything because you know we'll never, we'll never do that. Um, but it is to give Luton their credit. They're on the board, baby. They got a point. How many weeks did you think it was going to take? I thought Wolves at home was a, a hell of an opportunity. They needed a red card, but it happened. Um, yeah, they needed a red card and to come from behind with a penalty. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to see Luton finally entering the fray. Um, it's been a long time coming, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, other than Luton getting a point, let's get down to business. What's the most important thing you saw that Messi did over the course of the last week? Or is he still banged up, chilling, um, drinking rad beverages that we should probably be checking out or uh has he seen the field no unfortunately i've not seen any more of Messi. um as we record this he is sitting out the u.s open cup final and it looks like inter miami is probably going to lose um hopefully he's back for nycfc this weekend for the mls final kick but her final push rather yeah i i, I think that that 
glorious triumph of the League's Cup was just a little bit too much for a 36-year-old in the intense American heat, and he's suffering from some fatigue. Well, it's probably a good thing you didn't go to Saudi Arabia then. That's true. You, you know what they say about deserts. Yeah. Um, anyways, moving along, what is the most impressive thing outside of Luton getting a point? Which, again, we're not being sarcastic. They they did very, very well. They overperformed in the championship, and they deserve to be in the Premier League because of what they did in the championship. But if you look at that roster, I mean, you know, when Burnley's clearly better, I mean, it's like, okay, come on. Um, but we're very proud of Luton, even if they uh, broke up our hot streak. Uh, so, Steve, other than those two things, what's the coolest thing? What's the best thing? What's the raddest thing you saw over the past week? Time for me to eat a little crow. Um, I Not only did Manchester United beat Burnley, one of my specialty picks, Bruno Fernandes scored probably the goal of the weekend on an assist from one Johnny Evans as well. Um, he scored basically Johnny Evans plays a ball over the top coming onto his right foot, and he hits a volley out of midair over the shoulder, puts it right past the keeper. One of those really, really, really special and very difficult techniques, um, kind of reminiscent of a Cristiano goal a couple years ago, but also mm -hmm. the famous Van Persie goals. Um, yeah, so. For how skilled he is, it's amazing how he just could not play with Pogba. And again, I would probably, you know, I, I personally am more entertained by Pogba. I think at this point you got to say that's probably a Pogba problem. And even Cristiano, they did not mesh well at all. Um, but every time I've seen United, whether it's on television or in person, and Fernandez is, you know, deployed in a central role and has some cover defensively, he just doesn't play that poorly almost ever. I mean, he certainly, he certainly doesn't think he's ever committed a foul and would love to argue over <laughs> anything possible. But, I mean, the guy's floor is pretty high i mean he's about as reliable as it gets for that type of role in the premier league yeah i feel like a lot of his frustrations whenever you know there's trying to a lot of things flow through him for man united every and whenever you start to <laughs> flow things through multiple um players in that system he starts to get a little frustrated both by opportunity and you know changing responsibilities but in reality when he's given the keys to the man united machine he's been spectacular i think kdb and sala as far as goal creation are the only people that can hold a candle to him since he's entered the league and yeah i mean he deserves a lot of credit like he's he's a really spectacular player and his technique is outstanding as well like he, he's an incredibly talented player no he is um when you said you needed to eat a little crow I thought you were going to talk about what transpired this past weekend in the North London Derby. Um, I think it's one of those matches that if you're an Arsenal fan, and please, please correct me, um, because with rivalries, it's very hard to, you know, not see red sometimes, pun intended. Um, it's one of those matches that on paper, I think you expected or hoped Arsenal to show their superiority. But once the kind of dynamic of the match played out, you kind of felt like a draw was a fitting response. Um, I don't think Tottenham showed that they were more talented than Arsenal, but I think that Tottenham keeps, you know, as we've kind of talked about with, you know, young teams and other sports, leveling up almost. And maybe they play down to their competition and they're better. I mean, we don't know, but it seems like every significant task where they've been asked to jump, they really don't crash and burn. <laughs> I mean, they at least are up to everything we've seen them do this season. Um, do you agree with that assessment, or were you hoping that Arsenal was able to eke this out? 
Yeah, I think it after seeing the game, it was a very fair result. Spurs definitely walks away the happier of the two. And I agree that the quote unquote Spursing it seems to be dissipating into the past a little bit. Uh, they were it's a bygone era. I forget if it was Son or Ange that was talking about it, but basically explaining that most of that team at this point is new, including the coaching staff, and they're able to implement a new culture where that's like Spursing it as a distant memory of some other Spurs team. And, you know, you want to have a little bit more congruency than that, like in your club culture. But there are certain things you, I'm sure you would like to forget. And they seem to have amnesia of all of those Spursy moments. And yeah, they stuck to their guns. They came back twice in that match. And I think we're very much watching the birth of a new Spurs team and era. Um, as far as expectations going into the season, I'd say they're pretty much at an A plus at the moment. This was their first big test and you know, they didn't blow Arsenal away by any means, but they certainly met the ask. Yeah, and you know, this sends Arsenal down to fourth, but they're still four points back a city. Um it's early. Obviously every point is valuable, especially when you're trying to compete in the top four. This would have put them ahead of Spurs. Um but again, not an existential issue, but in terms of benchmarks you're kind of hoping, again, based on last season, that this is something that you can take care of or maybe look a little more explosive. But you're talking about the London team that is far exceeding expectations. And I would say it's fair to say they are far exceeding expectations if you factor last season in the turnover, the loss of Harry Kane. Um, I don't think we expected, and again, it's early, it's early, but I don't think we expected them to be, you know, playing this well this consistently. On the flip side, I know there were a lot of people who thought Chelsea was going to have a down year. And there were a lot of people who thought that meant sixth place. And again, it's early. They drew the hottest team in the Premier League to start the season, albeit at home. That's Liverpool 1-1. But right now, after six matches, they have five points. I mean, Todd Bowley loved to do his Roman Abramovich impression last year by axing Tuchel so early in the season. But, I mean, everything's backfiring on him. And what's he going to do? Is there anything to do? I don't know what Bowley can do at the moment. Um, his opportunity, I guess, will come in January. I Surely they're not going to fire Poch at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a poor start as far as results go. But there is reason to be optimistic as far as their performance goes they're the only team other than city that has won all of their games on xg problem being that i think they might have missed their opportunity for a little bit of luck because their upcoming run of fixtures is absolutely brutal and i don't know if brutal maybe come christmas we're going to be looking at a team that's just too far gone for this season to matter um yeah i mean i don't know it's hard to say it's it, they brought in too many new people doing new stuff all over the place, and they have no idea where they're going on the field or off the field, it doesn't seem, at the moment. And if they want this season to be a success, then that needs to get sorted very quickly. They've, of course, dug themselves a hole to start it out, and it's starting to look more and more like top four or five is kind of a dream scenario. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what else Bully can do at the moment. I, I was kind of thinking about this weekend as what he might have hired the wrong people and they might have bought some of the wrong players or 
been really too aggressive in the age structure of their strategy, but mm-hmm. you can't ask much more of him than to spend a billion dollars. Like that's what he's there for. Now, if that's been spent poorly and he's had his thumb on the scale, then like, yeah, I will say that. And, you know, I've been watching the Premier League documentary, um, the battle for the Premier League, which is season two. And there were some just ridiculous buys by Roman Abramovich. And, you know, again, Andrei Shevchenko was killing it before he went to Chelsea. They didn't need him. He didn't fit their system. It was literally a vanity buy. Um, most of what Bowley seemed to be doing was at least, I mean, if you go transfer by transfer, I think he thought he was making the squad better. I don't think he was treating these people like action figures. I think he probably got off to the amount of money he was spending and flexing his financial muscle, but it's not like Mudrick was his favorite player. He probably learned who he was like three days before he shelled out the cash. Um, so, I mean, this this has got to be club dysfunction because the preseason, they look great. Again, it's the preseason. We'll debate the merits of that until we're blue in the face, until we're, you know, long gone. But I can't remember anything this night and day in terms of preseason performance and getting five points in six matches. They obviously have a lot of injuries as well at the moment. But the Nkuku injuries was devastating. Yeah, the, the crazy thing is, like, again, it, you can't ask much more of him than just spend a load of money, which he's very much done. How much does he have his thumb on the scale of the club strategy? I don't know, but it does seem really, really short-sighted to have gotten rid of all of your veterans, save for Thiago Silva, And that seems like the problem on the pitch for Chelsea is like they don't have anybody with that Premier League experience just kind of take the players around them and the game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, they're leaving points on the board. Um, They're having trouble scoring goals. Nico Jackson, bless him, is not a Premier League striker at the moment. And, you know, this might all come to bear fruit later in the season. But again, they've kind of dug themselves a hole and given themselves not a lot of wiggle room. Like their upcoming games, I just wrote this down as... Fulham away, Burnley away, Arsenal, Brentford, Tottenham away, City, Newcastle away, Brighton, Man United away. Those are like seven of the teams you want to play the least. They're buried. Yeah, tough times. It's just hard to imagine a guy like Enzo Fernandez or even Moises Casado or even Modric, you know, struggling if they were put in a better position. And I'll bring up City. That's obviously a much better position. But at least they have people around them who are cultured within the sport and can really lead them and be an actual mentor and an actual guide. And I just can't imagine Enzo Fernandez not tearing it up at City or Arsenal or Tottenham. And that's kind of what we're saying, right? It's like Enzo Fernandez is a great player, but he's played like four different positions already for Chelsea this season. They just have no idea what their best 11 is at all. Yeah. And nothing's really sticking out as obvious. It's like when I go on FIFA and like Enzo's rated like an 82 and like Mudrick is like a 79 and like Casado's like an 80. It's like the hell they are. They're just playing for Chelsea right now. (laughs) So before we preview what I think are the two biggest matches, you know, this weekend in the Premier League, just for those keeping score at home, I do want to redo the table. In first place, Manchester City with 18 points in second place, Liverpool 16, three Brighton, 15 Spurs and Arsenal are tied at fourth, but Spurs is the advantage on goal differential. 
both have 14 points. Villa in sixth, West Ham in seventh, Newcastle in eighth, United ninth. Two weeks ago, quite a bit of hand-wringing. Um, I was saying that Newcastle's season was an unmitigated disaster. Said Aston Villa was embarrassing themselves. And uh, I think you told me you didn't have enough data and we should probably probably relax for a second. This, this other than Chelsea being in 21st place, this looks pretty similar to what we had expected this season would look like. Would you not agree? In terms of assuming there's some inertia there, the cream of the crop. Yeah, it's all starting to even out. Um, the Newcastle win being exhibit A, I mean, one win all of a sudden, they're shooting up into the top half of the table and crisis averted. Um, you know, they're one or two more good games away from being where they want to be. And, you know, it, it's a little too early to be looking at the table too intently as far as it being an ordered list goes. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, these these fixture discrepancies will start to even out a little bit over the next few weeks. And, Teams will start to really come into their own and reveal themselves. And, yeah, it's, it's about time to be able to make judgments based on what we've seen this season versus what we saw at the end of last season and uh, preseason. So you think it's time that you could probably do a power rankings? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? I could spitball a power rankings if I were, you know, gun to the head situation. I would say let's do a top three, but we know who's number one. Number one, and it's not that close, is Manchester City. But I do want to point this out because I did find this to be quite alarming. Um, and maybe this speaks to what happens when you lose some depth and you're adjusting new players or when the greatest midfielder of potentially all time, the modern era, is out. But there was a stat that I found alarming in terms of the Premier League and it's how their goals are dispersed among the team. And again, sh shockingly, Erling Haaland is well ahead, um, having scored eight goals in six Premier League matches. But Steve, how many players on Manchester City have scored multiple goals other than Erling Haaland? Other than Haaland? Mm-hmm. going to guess one other player, two total. Well, I think you're maybe overcorrecting over based on the fact that I'm bringing it up, but two... One of which is Rodri, and the other is Julian Alvarez, who have both scored two goals. No other player on Manchester City has scored multiple goals. And the players that have scored, Foden, Aki, Silva, and Doku, they've only scored one goal. I know it's early. I know it's really early. But this is a team that has long built their entire, I mean, their entire M.O., has been, you know, deception. Their entire MO has been not playing Route 1. And sometimes with Holland against inferior opponents, it's reckless not to do that at some capacity. It's just, why wouldn't you? You have Erling Holland and you're playing a side vastly inferior. But you would hope, at least in De Bruyne's absence, that Foden would have more than one goal at this point. Silva would have more than one goal through six matches. I mean, Grealish isn't on the board. I know he's only played three matches, but I think we're going to need more guys to step up or riding Erling Holland the way they're riding him and counting on goals from Rodri. I mean, didn't hurt him in the Champions League final, but 
Do you think they're going to need to spread the wealth or at least be able to spread the wealth a little bit more just so they can, once we get to the Champions League knockouts, once we get to these, you know, intense matches, not be so easily game-planned against? I mean, we saw what, you know, Real, a vastly inferior opponent, could do when they were literally just hounding Holland. Imagine if they're more one-dimensional than that. Imagine if De Bruyne doesn't return 100%. Is this a sign of something that could be a larger issue? So they made this transition last year at some point um, where they kind of became this boa constrictor. And instead of trying to go all guns blazing all the time and just, you know, create dozens and dozens of chances, they tried to be a lot more, a bit more controlled and in doing that, restrict their opponents to having almost zero chances. Um, in addition to the fact they now have Erling Holland, so your chance of converting on any chance created is significantly higher and he's become a focal point. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I'm not that concerned about it because last year I think that Holland and maybe Foden were their only people in double digits in the Premier League. I think that this is kind of becoming a feature, not a bug at this point. And... Once they get De Bruyne, Rodri, and Bernardo Silva back, I think they'll have plenty of creativity and goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, I don't know output between those. Plus, Alvarez seems to be taking a leap. Um, I think that there's still going to be plenty potent. The thing that really has changed for them is that they're like impenetrable. Like even getting a clear-cut chance against them is nearly impossible it's it's mm -hmm. used to be their achilles heel in those champions league matches they'd give up three chances two of them would get scored and suddenly they'd be out but last year they just absolutely suffocated everybody and i think that that's very much by design um having added erling Haaland, I, I think that's very much a tweak that pep guardiola is making intentionally and yeah I, I don't know he has eight goals in six games i didn't even realize that so far and yeah i, I i'm not worried about them they're on another planet right now I, it's dumb they just lost to newcastle and i think that was the first time they've lost a match that quote-unquote matters mm -hmm. in 30 matches give or take mm -hmm. but they still haven't allowed multiple goals in like 40 matches and i don't see that changing anytime soon the thing that is i don't know window creaking open for them is Rodri's red card. They go to Arsenal next weekend. Maybe just maybe that upsets them just enough, requires them to move pieces around just enough to slow them down and someone can take advantage. But as it looks like, dude, I, don't, I genuinely don't know if they can be beaten as they've looked the first few weeks. Yeah, and their one fallibility doesn't exist anymore, which was the creeping sense that things, if they slightly became askew, would not go their way. Now after that Champions League final, I'm not saying it's a lucky win, but they feel like, you know, a bounce of a ball went their way. And now it's going to be interesting to see their mentality as the season progresses in several knockout competitions because they're just not going to have the fear they had. And I felt like watching Aki this season as well as Akanji, they seem more confident, and I think that has to be the result of playing in that system, which is basically a tightrope act, given how the defenders are asked to play, and executing it extraordinarily well, what is ever going to look or feel more intimidating than that if you're those guys? So, you know, the mental edge, the mental fortitude that they have lacked in the past, 
It's just not there anymore. This is a scary, scary team, and they already were frightening. No, and they've come from behind a couple times this season, too, where it didn't even look like they were in danger. It's that they gave up a goal, and then immediately they all just kind of looked around to each other and were like, all right, I guess we'll score a few now. And they pointed at Foden and then Foden whiffed by like 15 yards. And then they were yeah, like, just have Silva cross it to Holland. And then he just like scissor kicked it in. <laughs> they like don't need 90 <laughs> minutes to beat you. It almost feels boring for them because they know that they can kind of just weather the storm. If you happen to pip one and score before they do, then they know that they can just give you an onslaught. And something that uh, was it last weekend? I don't know, but they're consistently great at scoring the five minutes before and after halftime. Like, mm-hmm. these teams need to get their act together and start paying attention in the minutes surrounding halftime because Manchester City hits another gear and they constantly score and change games in those moments. I think it was uh, Alex Ferguson used to call it finding the weasels. Like, find the guy who either is ready to go to the locker room or hasn't come out yet and just mm-hmm. dominate them. And Manchester City is amazing at taking advantage of those five minutes where you might psychologically or attention span might just drop a little bit and they kill you. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to game plan for any wrinkle that they have coming out of the tunnel. That's for sure. After they've already seen you play for 45 minutes. So you really have to have intense mental fortitude. And then at the end of your first 45 minutes of dealing with something you have not seen maybe before, or at least in a very long time, you're just hoping to get to halftime to catch a breath. And that's where those mental laps occur. Yeah, I saw since the turn of the year, or in about the last 32 games, they're about 12 points outpacing everybody. This includes their great run at the end of last season. And I'm <clears throat> nervous as a spectator and fan of the Premier League that that's about what we're going to watch. Is suddenly we're going to wake up in March and they're going to have a 12-point lead and never look back. And it it just feels like they're that much better than everybody right now. And I love this Liverpool team all of a sudden. Tottenham looks great. I think Arsenal is finding their way. Slowly but surely they'll get there, but it, it just feels like Man City's head and shoulders above everybody. Um, I know that won't provide a lot of drama, but... So, because you disrespected the Seagulls just so badly there, I'm going to draw you in now to give me a top four. Because one, one city. And I think we agree right now, based on their... Uncanny ability to just win every match 3-1. We have to put Liverpool too, right? Is this based on current resume or are we predicting the final top four? Uh, it's just like power rankings. Like who who neutral field tomorrow? Yeah, uh, Man City won. I would say at this point, both predictively and based on resume, Liverpool two. This is where it gets a little bit messy. Um, I'll still take Arsenal third. They've stubbed their toe twice, but I think they're going to come around. And fourth, I'm here between Tottenham and Brighton based on kind of – I'd I'd probably give it to Brighton just because I think they've been a little bit more impressive um, and a little bit stronger resume. I'll give it to Brighton because I agree with your top three, and I'll give Brighton the very, very, very slight edge just because of continuity, because of Deserby, but it's really on a knife's edge. And both of them have huge matches this weekend, so we'll we'll have another opportunity. Yeah, and we're going to learn quite a bit about them this weekend. Um, we're going to preview those matches later in the pod, but first, let's spin you around the rest of Europe really quickly where 
We had some pretty interesting action. Um, Steve yet again looks like the soothsayer because his dark horse to win La Liga just absolutely beat the brakes off Real Madrid. I mean, the man who used to be the biggest choke artist on the planet unless he was on loan, Alvaro Morata, he's got a brace. Griezmann scored again. And that was all despite getting out-possessed just slightly under 65-35. <laughs> what happened, man? At, yeah, at new Atleti. They are willing to take it to these teams. They obviously have the defensive acumen. I They seem to have a psychological edge in this game. Like, they just... They looked the more in tune um, with each other and more ready for the match. And I know Real Madrid's got a couple of injuries they're dealing with, but um, Vinny's coming back now. So it'll probably be different whenever they play again later in the season. But yeah, I think Atletico Madrid very much showed that this is going to be a three-horse race, which is very exciting. Three-horse race? I mean, through seven matches played, Real's in second with 18. Barca, who just drew... He's in third with 17 points. Athletes five matches back. Let's assume they win the next two. Big assumption. I mean, you know, stuff happens. But if they win the next two, they would just be one point back in 16th. But in first place, and again, it's early, Hirona. I mean, you look at their schedule through seven matches. The toughest test has been Sociedad on the road where they drew. That's a good result. Yeah. Um... But who won this other than Daily Blend? And if you, you know, really follow international soccer, you probably know uh, Victor Toygankov, outside midfielder for Ukraine. But it's got to be impressive. I mean, is there parity in La Liga now or uh, are Hirona here to stay? Hirona will fall off, but they are the most romantic story in La Liga so far. Well, to a certain extent. It's their first time in first place in La Liga in their history. But this is all tempered by the fact they're owned by City Football Group. So um, I don't know how happy I can be. Long-term, though, I fully expect them to fall off. No one can keep up with the uh, Real Madrid-Barcelona, except for maybe Atleti. And I think even Atleti is probably a little bit too inconsistent. But yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, certainly the Cinderella story. To, sorry, again, not a Cinderella story. Um, it, it is the unexpected story at the beginning of the season for La Liga and it's exciting and even more excitingly they host Real Madrid this weekend the uh, big bad angry wolf so that'll be the match of the weekend in Spain for sure oh yeah absolutely and then moving over to Serie A um, Inter Milan no longer undefeated first blood drawn by Sassuolo I think Sassuolo also beat Juventus last week they're on a roll they are on a roll and it leaves the table this tight, despite the fact that Inter just obliterated AC Milan first place. Inter only leads AC on goal differential. It's a big goal differential because of their match. 12 to 5. Um, they're both tied at 15 points. Third place Juventus and fourth place Atlanta play this weekend at 13 and 12 points respectively. And then Napoli coming off a 4-1 win are chilling at fifth with 11 points. Um, Atalanta is known for being a high-flying, fun team that will upset you in Europe and certainly always hangs around very, very long in the title race before inevitably falling off. Um, what do you expect from them this season? Do you think they can compete with Juve? Do you think they can compete with this kind of helter-skelter Napoli side from what you've seen thus far? 
I think they can give them all a stern test head-to-head. They hung around the top four spots last season pretty well. Um, I think they've kind of regrouped, and they're going to give it another shot. But to challenge for a title definitely seems like a bit rich for the Atalanta. Um, Despite that slip-up to Sassuolo, I think Inter is just way too strong. Juve seems like they're going to be able to pick up results pretty consistently, especially with no Europe. And I think Napoli and Milan are even better than Atalanta. So, you know, they've got a chance. It'll be interesting to watch. They're always a pretty fun underdog. They're not scared of anybody, and they'll they'll take the fight to them. But, um, yeah, if you ask me to bet on it, I'm taking them outside the top four. Yeah, I probably would too. Steve, take us home. Who's ahead in the Bundesliga? And has Harry Kane completely broken every record already? Harry Kane has now scored seven goals in his first five matches for Bayern Munich, which is the most of anyone ever. Um, but they are still evolving, even still. And this weekend, they go to Red Bull Leipzig. They did not beat Red Bull Leipzig last season, and the winner of this match will probably go first. Um, very much looks like a multi-horse race in Bundesliga for the first time. In a, well, last year was a great race, but anyway, it's exciting to see a lot of uh, challengers there. Well, that has been our European Roundup. Now it's time to play the game that we've introduced that has now taken over everybody's hearts, imaginations, minds, souls, etc. across all known universes. It is the weekly pick a player to score happy fun time game sponsored by whichever sandwich company will give us something stiff enough to hit the other person who loses the match, but not in a violent way, just maybe in a slightly embarrassing and fun way. Catchy name, huh? And as another point of order, whoever leads, and we're tied to two, but whoever leads, whenever that comes to pass, will be picking first so the other person can't just piggyback it or take advantage of the situation. So we got a double game week this week. Both games are viable, but the teams that are playing in this double game week, less viable. <laughs> Not exactly the sexiest picks on the planet. Steve, I begin with you. Do you dare roll the dice and pick one of these players from Luton or Burnley? I do. I'm I'm on three blinks in a row, so I need as many bites at the apple as I can get. I think I'm ready to go Carlton Morris of Luton Town. They play Everton and Burnley. He's on penalties. He scored last week. I'm ready to go all aboard the Luton train. I don't know if I'll have another opportunity this season, so Carlton Morris, please. Please, please, please. You know, I would pick Carlton Morris, but I had him in fantasy uh, one week, and I didn't do particularly well that week. And I just remember looking at my squad, and I just I just stared out, and I was like, what the hell are you doing? Why do you have a striker from Luton on your team? You can pick anyone, essentially. Um, but I do think that's a shrewd move, especially given that he takes penalties, and one of those matches is going to be against a team they could beat. Um, I'm keeping things in the same universe, and I'm going to pick Kalen Wilson against Burnley. I think that's going to be too easy. He takes penalties. That's a tiebreaker with Isak. So I'm going Kalen Wilson, and I hope he scores 70 goals, and I hope he ends this thing. But um, that wouldn't be fun for anybody, would it? Oh, me. <laughs> new, look, uh, new look Newcastle. They scored eight goals last week, beat Man City this week. You, you might score several. That's what I was thinking. Point of order. What is the tiebreaker if we tie? Because we can't just say it's assists because that's too obvious. At the end of the season, if we tie? Yeah, what's a tiebreaker? Oh, this is a good question. We just live stream paper, rock, scissors? 
Oh no, it has to be far more violent than that. <laughs> um, we take penalties against each other. This is that's that's, an, that's warmer. I don't know. Let's let's stew on that. That's that's going to be an issue. Maybe we run it back for the FA Cup final. Ooh, we could like draft. Yeah, we like do a draft of some sort for the FA Cup final. How about this? If we're tied after game week, a completely different competition. But whatever. Well, no. How nuts would it be? Is if we're tied after thirty-seven weeks, then week thirty-eight, when everybody plays at the same time, we both draft like five players. Yeah, if we're within like what's the most goals scored in a match in a Premier League game ever? Probably five seventy-six. City against uh, Luton in a couple weeks. Yeah, if we're within like five or so, we'll we'll get some uh, auxiliary choices going. Yes, I think that's the move. So moving along, we do our picks. And again, I'm not a superstitious guy, so I did about everything I possibly could to jinx what we did last week. And I think the universe spoke to me and said, you're just a little, little too big for your britches. And we got smoked. So we're still, we're still hovering around like 67% for this season. It was at like 70. I did add it up and Steve uh, did say the second we add this up is when we start losing. Told you. But it was such a staggering number that I just I had to um, because we need to buy a billboard in Times Square, and I needed to get the fonts right. But um, I guess I, I guess that's like cutting off the nose to spite the face um, if you believe in superstition. So believe that's an interesting word. If you believe in superstition, would that be the correct way to describe that? <laughs> I think that's fair. I think people would just say, "Are you superstitious?" I think yeah. That it is is it a belief? Path less traveled. The path less traveled. Well, this week. We have a great slate for you, and you can be confident that these are picks that you can take to the bank. First, Liverpool is on the road facing Tottenham Hotspur, and you can get plus money for them to beat an opponent that I think is suffering from an emotional letdown against Arsenal, just exhausted and probably, probably inferior to Liverpool. Um, Steve, as you pointed out during the match, um, Tottenham got let off the hook twice. I don't think that's going to happen against Liverpool. I like Liverpool plus 120 despite being on the road. I also like United to draw Palace at home. You can get that for plus 330. There's some historical trends in play here. Of course, I didn't factor that in. That's another thing that Steve researched and let me know. But I just don't think United's that good. Steve, is United that much better than Palace in any context other than on paper? No, I think that uh, I obviously picked them last week, so I'm a little burned. But um, I, th- I think they skated by Burnley, and I think they're going to get caught out by one of these teams at home soon. I think they are too. And lastly, I know you guys just got a point. I know I said I was going to do it until it stopped working. But hey, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Can't be fooled again. Yeah. <laughs> Take them bring. Everyone's minus 170 over Luton. I know it's minus 170. But it's automatic. This isn't this isn't even Luton anymore. This is this is us giving Everton respect. Yes. I mean, I think it goes a little bit of both ways. But I do think the Toffees have uh have turned a corner. And uh I think they felt a little raw after that Arsenal match. And I think it's woken them up. So I like Everton minus one seventy over Luton. So again, those picks also Liverpool plus twenty against Spurs. And United Palace to draw at Old Trafford, and that's plus three thirty. We move along. Now we conclude this podcast every week. What are you going to be watching this weekend? 
I'm going to be tuned in to Villa Brighton. That's going to be at 7.30 Saturday on USA. What are you going to look for in this match? Because Brighton is a team that makes you come to them and then they punish you. Aston Villa is a team that presses suicidally high with their back line that comes right at you and really hopes that they don't make any existential mistakes. Um, these are two wildly contrasting styles, and Villa has bounced back to soar up the Premier League table. If they win this match, depending on the results, they could be in the top four. Unai Emery is no slouch, but I really like Deserby here. I really think that he is going to punish Villa. I think he's going to make sure that his men are up for the task. Steve, what do you think plays here? What do you think's the X factor? Which team can execute their game plan better? Like you said, Brighton's going to possess the ball at the back, wait for someone to come onto them, and then kill the space they leave behind. Aston Villa is more than happy to engage in that suicidally high line, but they're really good about pressing and keeping their compactness with that with a high uh, defensive line as well. Um, perfect little style fight. Aston Villa won both the matches last year 2-1. I like their chances in this one, but I do think Brighton's grown up just a little bit. So um, I don't know. I, I agree. I think it's one of the more intriguing games of the weekend, to say the least. Also, Villa just kind of feels like the litmus test of Premier League teams right now. Like yeah. They seem like squarely sixth or seventh. Like, mm -hmm. beat Villa and you're a good team. Lose to Villa and you're an also ran. Like, you know, like they kind of fit that perfect. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... We said before the season, they're perma-fifth or sixth. They're perma-Europa. Yeah, like they're in Sharpie in sixth place and everybody's rotating around them. And if you beat them, you are clearly viable for the Champions League. If you lose to them, <laughs> then, you know, you're scrambling for other European spots um, or worse. And then if you keep things on USA, you're going to get Tottenham-Liverpool at 1230. We picked Liverpool to win this match, but... I do think, and Stevie pointed this out earlier, that this style fight does slightly favor Spurs. Again, I think the intangibles, I think the overall quality, I think the circumstances with which they're meeting, even though Liverpool is on the road, it's going to carry Liverpool over. I think they've just been so remarkably consistent. But I do see Tottenham's style of play like you said, as the type of play that can expose Liverpool if Liverpool gets ahead of themselves. Has Liverpool become the sentient, all-conquering, heavy metal football machine of years past? Or do you foresee this being a scrappy affair with some slip-ups on both sides? I really like the new Liverpool. They've changed even since they drew Chelsea to start the season. I think based on resume and eye test, they look like the second best team in the league at the moment. Um, in fact, I think these are probably the two most aggressively exceeding expectations teams so far. And through six games, this might be the match I most want to see. Um, a winner will very much announce themselves as title contenders, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting. Tottenham's going to play out of the back. They did it against Arsenal, even though they got turned over several times, and they're going to stick to it. If Liverpool's not able to turn them over, then they'll slice right through them. But Liverpool is one of the best teams at doing that, and I don't think they'll be as kind as to miss their chances as Arsenal. So I think that's where the game will be won and lost, and I'm fascinated to watch it again. These have been two of the more entertaining and um, impressive teams so far. Yeah, then we got some other blockbuster matches in other leagues. Um, 
the twelve thirty Saturday slot is loaded. Yeah, it is. Um, but if we move over to Serie A, we got Atalanta Juventus. That's Sunday noon on Paramount Plus. Odds makers have this about even. Atalanta is an exciting team, but Juventus clearly are playing with an edge. What is this going to be decided by? I mean, is this Juve's to lose at this point? No disrespect to Atalanta, even being on the road. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Kind of difficult to get a sense of it at the moment. I'll, I mean, I'll probably be tuning in just to see. Juventus doesn't really look like world beaters, but they look pretty resilient. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Atalanta approaches them, whether they let them play a little bit or if Atalanta tries to take the game to them. Um, but yep, no, it, it'll be one of the more entertaining games in Italy this weekend for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then flipping over to La Liga, going back in time, 12.30, <laughs> like you said, was loaded. This is going to be competing with Liverpool, Tottenham. So make sure you have your multi-screens, your picture-in-picture, picture, your laptop, and your TV. However you choose to do it if you're not afforded the parlor walls. We get the two teams that are at the top of La Liga squaring off. On ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes, you can watch Real Madrid, who's in second place, to Girona in first place. Not in the business of predicting scores, but this kind of feels like a 4-1 to me. You think it's going to be that close? Vinny's back. Real Madrid needs a response from their loss to their city rivals. Um, yeah, watch out, Hirona. This might be a short time at the top. But they did it. They made history. And they are certainly stoked. Steve, before we go, do you have any brain busters for the kids? Um, yes. The most goals ever scored in a Premier League match by one player is five. It has happened by Andy Cole, Alan Shearer, Jermaine Defoe, Dimitar Berbatov, and Sergio Aguero. One of those is not like the others. Yeah, so that's a pretty staunch list. And in addition to my little statistic, uh, Inter-Miami, unfortunately, has lost to Houston. Congratulations, Houston. But Inter-Miami now controls their own destiny for the MLS stretch run. Hopefully, Messi can make it back. They play NYCFC this weekend. Huge game as far as the final playoff spot goes. Um, definitely tuning into that to see if Messi can recover some of that magic. And you can catch that one on Apple Plus. Well, thanks for listening to the Just for Kicks podcast. You can find us on Instagram and on threads at the Just for Kicks podcast. You can find us on Twitter or X, Just for Kicks FC. You can find us on TikTok, Just for Kicks podcast. And if you're ever curious, just type in justforkicks.soccer. It's got everything. And we're very, very excited to be rolling out a ton of new content this season. I'm Joey. He's Steve. Everybody be well. Make sure to check out all the action and some pretty fun Champions League matches midweek as well. Newcastle PSG! It's going to be a fun time. Have a good one. And Copa Libertadores. And Copa Libertadores.